Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we are uh, going to transition now into our teaching time. Uh, we're going to teach for about 30 minutes or so, and then we're going to open up the floor to see if there's any discussions, suggestions, comments, questions about what we see uh, this morning. Um, we are doing this, this journey, this study, this um, discussion called In Jesus' Own Words. And Ricky's going to throw up our little graphic that we have for this. Uh, the idea is we've We've gone as a church through a lot of the Apostle Paul's writings. We've gone through the whole letter of Hebrews. We've gone through a lot of, you know, uh, Peter's teachings and, and James's teachings. And we've really discovered this amazing thing called the finished work of Christ, the good news of the gospel of the grace of God, this idea that he has once and for all washed away, cleansed us of all of our sins, not just past sins, present sins, future sins. If you are in Christ, you are clean. Now, do we always behave that way? You know, that's, that's obviously a different story, but we are forgiven. I had this thought this week uh, that came to me. In this world, who is responsible for my sins? We were talking about this, weren't we, Steve? Who's responsible in this world for my sins? I am, yeah. I go 75 and a 25, I'm getting the ticket. I am responsible in this world for my sins. And I promise, Larry, I'm not going to go 75 and a... Okay, don't, don't pass that along, okay? But think about this with me. Who in the kingdom of heaven is responsible for my sins? Think about it. Jesus was. You see that? Jesus was. 2,000 years ago, he took my sin account away. So he's not still accountable for my sins. He was once and for, come on, once and for, and we call that good news, the gospel of the grace of God. Do you deserve it, Chris? Absolutely not. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Do you deserve it, Ricky? Absolutely not. I mean, we do not deserve it. It's grace, grace, God's grace. So we've discovered this in the apostles' writings, and so the question is, okay, well, what does Jesus say about this? And so we're doing this study to say, hey, let's just go back to Jesus' own words. Let's, let's don't just take Paul's writings for it. Let's don't just take the Hebrew, Hebrews and, and Peter and James. Let's actually see what Jesus himself says about this. Is he in agreement with the apostles? Here's another way of thinking about it. It's one thing for us to believe that Jesus lives. And I would say that we all probably believe that Jesus lives. You can't be a Christian unless you believe that he lives. And we would even say that Jesus lives in us. But it's one thing for us to believe that Jesus lives in us. But it's another thing to know the Jesus who lives in us. 
It's not just about knowing facts about him. We're not here just to learn some doctrine, some teaching, some really cool facts, some, some trivia. We're here to get to know a person. You see the difference? Religion, I would describe religion as getting to know facts about stuff. What to do, what not to do, facts. No, we're not into that. We're into a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus lives in us, not religion. Jesus lives in us, not a denomination. It's Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we make a big deal about. And so we've been walking through uh, some of his life, and we're still at the very, very beginning. We'll be doing this all fall long, probably, I don't know, past Christmas. I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. We've seen some stuff about his baptism. We've seen stuff about creation itself. And today we're going to take a look at his very first miracle, the very first miracle of Jesus. Now, we all know the very last miracle of Jesus on earth, his resurrection and his ascension. Those are very powerful. They mean a lot. We'll get to those, you know, in, in, in time. But those are, we all know the significance of his resurrection and his ascension. But we're going to look at his very first miracle. Is there any significance to the very first miracle? You know, many moons ago, I played football. Uh, I, in fact, all the way from fourth grade all the way through college. I played at Liberty. We've got a family here that just dropped off a kid at Liberty. And so I played down there at Liberty uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s. And one thing that, you know, whether I was a fourth grade or whether I was, you know, fourth year at, at Liberty, the, the thing that coach would always say is there's no play like the first play. It's the very first play, the very first kickoff, the very first play from scrimmage that sets the tone for the rest of the game. Now, we don't want to get into all the violence about, you know, smack them in the mouth sort of talk, but, you know, you get the picture. And so the idea was we wanted to, from the very first play, set the tone for what the rest of the game was going to be like. Let's think about Jesus' ministry, his very first miracle. I mean, he's going to do a lot of stuff, but he has chosen a miracle, his very first one, that I'm going to submit to you sets the tone in an incredible, incredible way, and it's not just about water, and it's not just about wine, but it's setting the tone for who Jesus is and what he's come to do and what he makes us who believe in him. So hopefully when we walk out of the room this morning, we will have discovered a little bit further about who this Jesus is, because we're here to get to know him, about what he's done and who I now am in him. So let's take a look at this very first miracle of Jesus. Um, we're going to get to know his heart we're going to get to know his passion, not just a historical figure, but a person. So starting here in John chapter 2, we're familiar that Jesus, his very first miracle is turning water into wine. All right. By the way, all the teachers, if you're a school teacher, you just finished your first week, you can put your hands up. Yeah, school teachers, you work in the school, counselors, etc. I saw a picture, I saw a glass at the antique store the other day. It says, um, I teach, therefore I drink wine or something like that. It was a great little glass. Um, so on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So we're going to paint the picture of what's going on in this wedding, and we're going to, I've got about several thoughts I just want to give you about what I see happening, and then we're going to open the floor for anything that you might see as well. So they come to a wedding, Jesus, the very next verse, Jesus and his disciples 
uh, have been invited to the wedding. So Jesus, some of the disciples, this isn't all 12 disciples. Um, this is just a few. In fact, these are the ones probably that John, the baptizer, uh, said, hey, don't follow me, guys. Start following him. So it's just a few disciples, not all 12, but they've been invited to this wedding. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is at the wedding. This is in Cana. This is north Israel. So if you think of Israel as a sliver of land, this is towards the north of Israel. Jesus is there. His disciples are there. His mom is there. And verse 3 says, when the wine ran out. Now, look, this is a wedding. I do a lot of weddings. In fact, I got a wedding coming up just a couple weeks, I think, the 17th. So I do a lot of weddings. They're cool. The actual wedding ceremony, 10, 15 minutes. I mean, it doesn't take long. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Kiss. All right. I mean, it doesn't take long. The celebration afterwards can be very, very long. Craig, you've been at some that just last all night long. Have you been to like multiple day ones? Craig shoots weddings, uh, photography. Um, (laughs) So, um, so... So some weddings are even, the celebration is a couple days. Well, in the Jewish culture, they were. They were a couple days. And so they've got a lot of wine, and the wine has run out. And if you're there to celebrate and the wine's run out, that is bad news. So the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, they have no wine. And I'm assuming, this is a total assumption, that maybe Mary was like in charge of the wedding somehow, because why would she really worry about it? I don't know. But she says to Jesus, Jesus, they have no more wine. And I love Jesus' response. In verse 4, he says to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? You know, like, why is that our, why is that our problem? You know, we didn't make the grocery shopping list. You know, what's, what's that have to do with us? It sounds like he's being disrespectful, woman. Well, that word in the Greek, it does, it's not disrespectful at all. It's like the same word we get, wife. You know, it's, it's like dear, dear lady. It's not disrespectful at all. But woman, what does that have to do with us, me and my disciples? For because my hour has not yet come. And the hour that he's talking about, as we looked at last week, if you remember, the temptations of Jesus, his, it, the time has not yet come for me, who I really am, to be revealed, the Son of God, as the Son of God. That's going to come in about three years when he's hanging on the cross and the temple is, uh, veil is torn in two and the centurion bends down and he says, surely this was the Son of God. Okay, so that day's coming, but he's like, woman, my time's not yet come. There's t- there's a bunch of places throughout the gospel where something happens and, and the crowd presses in and the Bible says that Jesus slipped through for his time had not yet come. Very interesting when this happens. And so he's saying, woman, I, I, this isn't the time for everybody to point at me and say, you must be Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. That time's going to come, but this isn't the time. Jesus is exercising some serious patience. Now look at this. Verse 5, you know, Good moms, you know, I love my mom. My wife is an excellent mom, but moms don't let things go. She says to the servants, and see, this is why I thought, I just got some ugly looks from moms. I'm sorry about that. Um, Good thing we already passed the plates. He says, his mother said to the servant, so this is why I think Mary's in charge somehow, because why would the servants listen to just some guest? You know what I mean by that? So she's got to be in charge somehow. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. I love that. Whatever he says, 
Because I know he's going to do something. I know his heart. I know he's here to do some amazing things. I know his ministry has started. He's clearly not going to make a big deal, like public deal about this, because that time hasn't come yet. Whatever he says, and it might be something crazy, but whatever he says, do it. And the servants had a choice to make, to trust, we'll get to this in a little bit, or to not trust this crazy instruction. Now, verse 6 gives us a little bit of background. There were six Six stone uh, water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. So you talk about some heavy, I mean, these are made of stone, and if they're big enough to contain 30, 20 to 30 gallons, just the pot itself is going to be incredibly heavy. You put the water into it, then, I mean, water, what does that weigh, a pound? It's like several... I mean, a gallon's like two or three pounds a gallon or something. Did anybody know? Eight pounds. Yeah, eight pounds a gallon. Am I saying that right? So I, I'm not good at math. If you want to do the math real quick, it's heavy. It's heavy. So there's six of these, and they're used for the Jewish custom of purification. Here's the idea. We had breakfast here this morning. If we were in this Jewish custom, There would be these pots sitting outside. There'd be servants in charge of the pots. And when we would come, before we could partake in this celebration, in this eating, in this gathering, we would have to take our shoes off. We'd have to unveil our hands. And we would have to wash our feet and our hands, maybe even our face, any exposed skin, to ceremonially, and I use those air quotes because it doesn't cleanse any sins of anybody, but it's a ceremony to show we're, we're washing away this filth of this world so that you could kind of come in clean. So these six pots are used to wash people's feet, to wash their hands, to wash their face. Not the cleanest pots in the pantry. You see this? He says to them, verse 7, fill water pots with water. Fill them with water. So they filled them up to the brim. I love that specificity. Filled them to the brim. You know how water has a tension surface, you know, like if you fill this up, it actually makes a convex, concave, it, you know, does that thing. And, and it's full to the brim. I mean, you just touch it a little bit, it's going to pour out. They were full. You couldn't add any more water. I love that specificity. We'll get back to that in a second. Verse 8. After they'd done this, and just think with me the labor it would have taken to do this. After they did this, he said to them, now draw out, draw some out, and take it to the head waiter. Now, these were servants. These were like you know, table servers. And Jesus is telling them to take some of that water that you just put into those filthy pots, put it in a glass, and take it to your boss to drink. I mean, think with me here. I mean, some of the servants were probably like, I can't do that. He's going to fire me, you know. I've got wife and kids, you know. And I mean, I just lost my job at the factory, and I need this job. I can't. Some of the other servants were probably like, I'll be first, you know. That jerk, I'll be first. You know, I don't like my boss. But get this. They take it to the head waiter, the person who is in charge of probably serving all the food. He's probably, the curator is not the right word. Whoever it is that 
you know, gets all the food together, you know, and makes it all happen. What's that, Adam? What's that person called? The head chef? I don't know. He's in charge. Whatever. There's a title, I think. Whatever. So verse, what is it? We got nine. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine. Let's pause right there. So he gets it. It's no longer water. It's now wine. And he interjects. And the head waiter did not know where it had come from. He was clueless. He, where, where is this? This was not on my, you know, rec, uh, my inventory list. This, this is not, I don't know where this, this wine is not anything that I ordered. Where did this come from? He did not know where it came from, but the servants knew. And they were glad that the boss was happy, I'm sure. The servants knew where the water had come from. Now look at this. So the head waiter tasted. He didn't know where the wine came. Look at the bottom line. The head waiter called the bridegroom. So this is the man who just is marrying the wife, the, the, the bride. And he says to the bridegroom, every man, not some men, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have freely drunk, They've had enough of the good, you know, then we bring in the poorer wine, the stuff that's, you know, not as good, not as tasty, not as fermented, not as, you know, pure. Maybe it's watered down a little bit, whatever. Once they've had their fill of the good stuff, then we bring in, you know, the other stuff. But you, bridegroom, have kept the good, the best the premier, the fancy, for until now. So this was Jesus' first miracle, turning this water into wine. And we're going to take about, I don't know, 10 minutes, and I'm just going to share a couple thoughts that I have about this, what's going on, the significance behind it. And I just would love to hear your thoughts, maybe questions, comments, uh, suggestions. The first thought that I'm going to throw out to you, the question that we have is, is there significance to this? Is Jesus using water into wine to show us something about himself? And I would say, absolutely. It's three words. Absolutely. Here's the first thought I have for you. These are in the Bible notes. If you do the Bible notes, you go, go to Bible app, you know, download that on your phone. And you can go to, uh, you know, click more, and then I think you click events, and you'll see our, our church, you know, event. These are all listed there. But here's the first thought I had. Jesus turning this nasty, dirty water, remember, it's dirty water, into the best wine. I'm submitting to you. I could be wrong, but I think that's a picture of how he turns our sin-stained hearts into perfect, pure hearts. So remember, this water was just for washing the outside ceremonially of these people. It didn't wash their true sin. It didn't wash their true heart. It didn't actually take away their sins. These pots were used to just ceremonially wash sins away. But Jesus turned this water that was used to ceremonially wash, ceremonially wash the outside, he turned it into wine, a picture of his precious blood that doesn't just wash away our surface sins, but his blood, the blood of Jesus, was shed to wash away the entirety of our sin account. Do you see that? 
the, the water that was in the pots, when it was just water, they were just washing their arms, their legs, their face. But Jesus turned this into a wine that wasn't put on the outside. This wine went where? Into them, into their innermost being. Hebrews chapter 10 says, for by one offering, the blood of Jesus, by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, those who have been made holy. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you say, Jesus, I trust you. I no longer trust anything else, but you alone, you have been perfected for all time. You say, but I still screw up. Yeah, join the club. This isn't about the flesh. This is about the nature of your new heart. You have been made perfect at the core. A heart transplant has happened. A surgery, a spiritual surgery has happened where the old dead heart was cut out and a brand new heart was put in, born from the very spirit of God himself. You at the core. Yes, at, when you were born in this world, we got some beautiful babies back here. I have, I have three beautiful babies. I was a baby at one time and a beautiful at that. But when we were all born, we were born with a nature from our father, Adam dead in our iniquities, the uncircumcision of our hearts, sin-stained. Jacob says that the old man, the old heart, or the heart we were born with is deceitfully wicked. You can't trust it. And that's the whole point of the new creation. That's the whole point of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that the old heart is cut out crucified, buried, and a brand new heart is given. So Jesus, he's taking his very first miracle and he's taking this water that's used to ceremonially, temporally wash the outside and I'm turning it into wine, a picture of my blood that goes into a man upon faith in me and I wash from the inside out. So much better than the outside in. The outside in doesn't happen. It doesn't work. The problem, the heart of our problem of humanity is a problem of our heart. We must be born again. Remember at the Lord's Supper, he holds up the cup and he says, this blood, this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus' very first miracle is setting a huge tone For the rest of his ministry, which will culminate in not wine being poured out on the cross, but his very blood being poured out on the cross. Do you see that? Do you see that? He's changing the game. Second thought I have real quick is that they went from no wine to like 120 gallons or 180 gallons, you know, 20 to 30 gallons each, six of them. I can do that math. 120 to 180 gallons of wine. I don't know how big this party was. But I've never, I've been at some big weddings, but I've never been at a wedding where you need 180 gallons of wine, right? Come on. I mean, how many, how many can that satisfy? I mean, good grief. Here's the picture. Here's the picture. Apart from Christ, we have no righteousness. Just like they ran out of wine, Apart from Christ, we have run out of righteousness. There is no one righteous, no, not one. But with Christ, when we place our faith in Christ, we have, let's get these air quotes back out, 180 gallons. In other words, plenty, more than enough righteousness, more than enough holiness, more than enough grace, 
Remember what Ephesians 1, 7 says? It says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he poured out, which he lavished upon us. So get this picture. You're underneath a fountain, and it is the fountain of God's grace that is being poured out upon you. Tell me, how rich is God in his grace? So when is that fountain of grace going to end? Never. We went from zero righteousness, zero okayness, to more than enough. There's a song we used to sing a lot back when I was in youth ministry. It said something like, Jesus is more than enough for all of me. And it's something like that. It, it, I forget the lyrics now that I, was, I could sing it for you. Um, but he's more than enough. And that's what Colossians 2.10, a, ver, a verse very, very powerful to, to Bill. The Lord used that passage to open Bill's eyes to just see how good God really is. In Jesus, you have been made complete. You've been made complete. Remember how the wine, the water was filled to the brim? Remember that? And when it turned into wine, the wine was filled to the brim. It couldn't handle anymore. There was no more room for anything else. You see, when Jesus saves us, he saves us completely. He doesn't, the cross wasn't a mere down payment for us to then kind of figure the rest out for ourselves. The cross is the payment in full. Here's another thought that I had when I was reading through this is, um, remember how Mary says, look, look, whatever he says. Remember that? We saw that? He said, whatever he says. And they did it. They, They heard, they took the instruction and they did it. I think that's a picture of faith. Trusting. Trusting. You know, it's pretty weird for Jesus to say, Steve, say, hey, go fill up these dirty pots and go serve it to your boss. It's kind of weird, right? But they did it. They trusted. They obeyed the teaching of Jesus. And the teaching of Jesus was believe, uh, 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 do this. And the teaching of Jesus to us is believe. First John chapter three says, here's the commandment. Here's the commandment. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we've been instructed. Our commandment is to believe. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it very plainly. This is quoting the Old Testament. He says, but my righteous one, if you are righteous, here's how righteousness works. My righteous one shall live by faith faith, trusting. You see, so many of us, we start off this road in Christ by trusting Christ, but then we we think we have to graduate from trusting. I've been using these a lot today. I don't know why. We think we should graduate from trusting Jesus to now performing to, to take us the rest of the way. And look at what the warning is. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, shrinks back from what? Shrinks back from faith. If he shrinks back from faith, my soul has no pleasure in him. Wow. What's the only thing that brings pleasure to the heart of God? Faith. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God. 
And so when we think, okay, Jesus got me this far, now I need Moses, now I need law, now I need rules to take me the rest of the way based on my own performance, we're shrieking back from faith, we're falling away from grace, and we're falling towards law, rules, regulations, and my soul, the Lord says, takes no pleasure in that. Whatever he says, and what does the Lord say to you? Believe. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's got to be more than that, Jesus. It's got to be more than that. No. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Believe. Another thought I have real quick, um, let me go through these a little bit faster, is I love how he makes a big deal about how the best wine was saved for what? Last. Are we all together? The best wine was saved for last. I love that. I think that's a picture. I could be wrong, but I think that's a picture of how Jesus, the best, was saved for last. I mean, think with me. When God created, when Jesus himself, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, created, God created, and there was Genesis 3, the fall of Adam and Eve. Jesus did not immediately that day enter into the realm of earth. So many other things entered in. Ultimately, this thing we call the Mosaic Law entered in. And this Mosaic Law, it was the pinnacle of Judaism. It was the, did you say bomb diggity? I don't know. It was the everything. It was the center of their existence, this thing called the Mosaic Law. And they thought it was the best. But the best had not yet come. Just as they normally, every man, the modus operandi is to put out the good wine first and then the bad wine later, the, that gets turned on its head. His ways are above our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. He turns it on its head and says, no, no, no. I put the weaker thing out front, the law, because I have now brought my son the best. And that's exactly what Hebrews 7 says. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But a word of oath came, which was, came after the law, and the oath appoints a son made perfect forever. So this perfect wine that came after the other wine is a picture of how Jesus Christ himself is now on the scene, and nothing's going to top him. Remember how Hebrews began? The thought that God used to speak through us through prophets and through angels, but now he speaks to us in son. And there's nothing greater. He is the pinnacle of it all. And that's who lives in us. A couple other thoughts real quick. I love how the head waiter, he didn't know where it came from. Remember that? How the head waiter didn't have any clue where it came from? Like, where, where did this come from? I don't remember this from my you know, requisition. This wasn't on the, 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 the shopping list. Where did this wine come from? He had no idea. I love that because I'm submitting to you. That's a picture of the Christ hidden, hidden from previous generations, we looked at this last week. Remember, the devil himself didn't even know there was a son. At least that's what I submitted to you. I could be wrong. But I submitted to you last week that the devil himself didn't even know there was a son. Because remember, he asked Jesus in Matthew 4, verses 3, and again in verse 6, hey, if you really are the son of God, because I had never heard of this son thing, if you really are the son of God, then turn these bread and the stone into bread, etc. They didn't know it was hidden. Colossians 1 says that the mystery, which is Christ, has been hidden. It was hidden from past generations and previous uh, ages, but now has been manifested to his saints. The head waiter didn't know where the, water, the wine came from, just as, but, but who did know where the wine came from? The servants. 
Those who trust Jesus, we know where the Son has come from. He's come from the Father, and he has returned to the Father, and he now lives in us. We who believe know where he's from, but the world doesn't. And that's our joy to proclaim from the mountaintops, this Jesus Christ whom you crucified is the Lord of glory. Two more thoughts real quick. The pots, remember the pots themselves, those big, huge stone pots, 20 to 30 gallons each? The pots were not the focus. They they were integral, integral. They were important, but the pots were not the big deal. What was the big deal? You say it. The wine that was in the pots. Those pots, were they clean or were they dirty? The pots. I mean, they were dirty. They were used to clean people's feet and hands. I mean, they're dirty. But the pots wasn't the big deal. The wine inside was the big deal. You remember what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 4? He says, we have this treasure, the best wine ever. Jesus Christ himself wed to our new heart, righteous and holy, compatible. As Eve was suitable for Adam, we've been made suitable for Jesus by his death and resurrection. We have this treasure, this union of our new spirit, our new heart with the heart of God himself inside of this earthen what? Vessel. You you remember those pots? I mean, those pots were made of earth, stone. The pots weren't the big deal. What was inside the pot is the big deal. Listen, what what if the head waiter said, I'm not going to drink out of that pot. I know what that pot's used for. That pot is disgusting. That pot, that pot, that pot. I can't handle that pot. He would have never tasted the best wine ever. Listen, church, if we're not careful, we're going to make everything about the flesh. The flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the old creation, this body and the sin that lives in the flesh. Listen, it's important. Don't get me wrong. Those pots were important. But what was glorious was that which was in the pot. The glory is not your flesh, and the glory is not even you overcoming your flesh. The glory is the Christ who now lives in you. As Paul goes on to say, we have this treasure inside of earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves, meaning the source of godly living isn't our flesh. It's not the pots. It's Christ in us. And that's why he goes on to say later in that chapter, let's set our eyes on that which is in us, that which we cannot see, the glory of God in us. One last thought, and we'll wrap up. Where did this first miracle take place? Not geographically, but what event? At a wedding. How cool is that? At a wedding. Jesus Christ ultimately came to this earth. God in the flesh came to this earth to purchase a what? A bride. A bride. What was the cost of this bride? His own life. His own blood. His blood that was shed on the cross to redeem. Redeem. We know that big church word, right? Redeem. That literally means to pay for something. If I want to buy some bow ties from Craig, which big plug for Craig, buy some bow ties from Craig. If I want to buy some bow ties, I got to give him some money. I got to purchase. I'm redeeming those bow ties. The cost 
of Jesus to purchase a bride was his own life. And his very first miracle was at a wedding. Can you see the heart of Jesus in this? Can you see the intentionality of the Son of God who in his very first miracle sets the tone for the rest of his ministry that would culminate not, not at some other nameless person's wedding, but in the resurrection and the, and the ascension, which brings about his wedding with his bride, the church, so that every man, woman, boy, and girl who would ever trust in Jesus would become his bride. The last verse of John, so going back to John chapter 2, verse 11, this is the very last verse of that story. It says this, this, is the, this beginning, it's weird in English, but this beginning of his signs Jesus did in, in uh, Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed him. You know, I used to work, look at this word signs and I thought it was like, you know, the, the tricks, the magic of Jesus. Well, I'm looking at this word signs a lot differently now. And I'm seeing it so much so now as these, this is the like big flashing street sign showing Jesus is the Christ. And that from the very beginning, there's a sign here inside of this miracle, a sign, a message telling us that Jesus takes old, dirty, rotten things and he makes it precious and priceless and the best. And the focus isn't on the outer, it's on the inner the new creation. And if we live from that, guess what? Man, it's on. But if we live through life trying to just improve the outside, man, we're chasing, we're just chasing the flesh. I mean, there's no no glory in that. But it's truly living by another life. In Revelation 21, he kind of says, hey, here's the bottom line. He that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Ask those servants, is he able to take dirty, old, stank water and make it new and glorious, priceless, the best the head waiter I've ever tasted? I make all things new. And he said to me, write this down, for these words are true and faithful. And then he said to me, it is done. That's the same thing Jesus said on the cross. It's done. It's finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. If you are thirsty and you are desperate for true life, Jesus Christ is saying, hey, come to me and I will freely without cost give you 180 gallons, (laughs) more than you could ever in a million lifetimes need. I will give you freely of my life. But are you thirsty? They realized at the wedding that they had run out of what they needed. Have you come to the point in your life where you've realized that you don't have what it takes and you need Jesus? Our journey marker this morning If you're new with us, journey marker, that's, okay, let's put all this stuff into a simple thought so we can go home with it. If Jesus freely, that's what we just saw in Revelation 21, freely without cost, if Jesus freely makes things good, if he freely makes things perfect, if he freely takes what's old and makes it perfect and priceless, then what does that make me?
If he freely makes things good, if he freely makes things good, then what does that make me? Brothers and sisters in Christ, it means you are good. It means you are new. It means you are the priceless wine of God, if you will, that he has taken and made new. A conversion of the old to the new. But you must believe. You must trust him. So those are a couple of thoughts that I had when I was thinking through Jesus' words here in John chapter 2. And I'm curious as to whether or not there might be some thoughts from from the fellowship, from the saints, um, questions, comments. Uh, We actually have a um, a little microphone. I don't know if this is going to deter people from trying to talk or, or what. I'm not exactly sure. But we've had a lot of comments that said, I can't hear what everybody is saying. So we have a little microphone. If you're scared of the microphone, you know, then don't use the microphone. But we'll try it out. Keith? I've got a loud voice, so I may not need this. Uh, I had two thoughts. One, I want happy hour with Jesus. Um, two, uh, I, what struck me right when you started talking, Walt, it was uh, that uh, the one, I mean, to, I mean, Jesus cares about the small things. I mean, it, it was a, I don't think it would have ruined the wedding had there not been more wine or ruined the celebration, why people were, were there. But he cared about it and he cares about the small things in our lives. And uh, to me, I mean, that's just one thing I was kind of been thinking about the whole discussion. So, Great word. Any other thoughts you had, Bob? Let's, yeah, pass the mic. Cool. I didn't know how that would work. If you don't mind speaking to the mic, we'd love for you to so everybody can hear. I just was thinking back to what Craig was saying up there about all our lives, we're sort of trained that so much as a result of what we do, like, all through school, and but how Craig put it, that this work, we had nothing to do with it, and it's given freely. It's just amazing. Um, but you were talking, too, about that's just so powerful that, you know, Mary said to them, whatever he does, do it. And we were talking last week, I think, or the week before, I can't remember, um, Whatever the Father told Jesus to do, he did it. And we have Jesus in us, so we're supposed to follow him, walk with him, do whatever he says. It's just a, you know, I wonder, like, Mary must have had something about her, I don't know, just guessing, like, humility or she had respect of these people, these servants, because it got their attention. And I think in in my life and our lives, um, when you when you t- when she told them, whatever he says, do it. That means they're going to have to be listening to what he says. And so often, we can get I, you know, we can get so busy in the everyday things that we have to do in life that we forget. It's so easy to forget. And throughout the Bible, one word that's mentioned a whole lot of times, because we're like sheep, but is remember. Remember God and remember how he did all these things. But um, just having that attitude of wanting to listen and do what he says. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Any other thoughts? 
perhaps a question, perhaps a, man, I didn't quite catch this, or, and don't let the microphone turn you off. You, you can just speak. We don't have to put the mic on you, but we just want to, oh, you, you guys hear me talk way too much. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I have found in my, my own life, it is really hard to goof up and not live who I truly am if I'm focused on how good Jesus is. And I was, as we were kind of going through the seven points at the end, I just kept thinking to myself, man, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking the, the head waiter saying, this is like, this is the best wine. Mm-hmm. But we as humans sometimes, we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about, oh, but that water, hmm. you know. Right. I'm used to that old dirty water. Um, and and Hart and I had talked about a about a sermon um, that we both listened to where the, the, the pastor is going through Romans um, and he's basically breaking down the verse that you are dead to sin but alive to God. Um, and he says, you know, I love peaches, like everything peaches. They just get me going. Peach cobbler, peach soup, if that's a thing. I don't know. He just, he loves peaches. But he says, you know, when I die and you put me in the coffin, you can set as many peaches as you want outside the coffin, in the coffin, whatever. I'm dead to them. And I just today was thinking, we're dead to the old water and even the pots. I mean, we, we are the pots, but we're, we are alive to God. We're alive to so much more than what we're used to or what we think feels good. Um, and I was just struck today with if I, I just kind of hear if we're supposed to be trying harder at anything, try harder to be thinking about how good Jesus is. Because when you're wrapped up in that, it's really hard to turn back to old ways or to really be craving peaches, um, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, so my, as a teacher, um, the past several years, I have driven my wife nuts with how negative I can come home at the end of the day. Um, and any teachers, you probably know exactly what I'm about to say. You can have 140 great students. And over the course of seven hours or seven and a quarter hours or whatever, you can have seven and hours and 15 minutes of awesome school. But sometimes all it takes is 10 minutes or one encounter to completely like put a dampen like or a cloud over what has all occurred. And I feel like in school and now in the Christian life, you know, man, if I focus on just how good God is, what what can put a cloud on um on my life? And man, would I handle the clouds a whole lot differently if I'm just constantly in tune with how good the Lord has been to me. Amen. So somebody help me with this verse. What what whatever things are Good, whatever things are, help me out, noble, whatever things are pure, set your, uh, think on these things, dwell, something like that, set your minds, dwell on these things. And he's talking about Jesus. I mean, who's good, who's, who's pure, who's noble? I mean, it's Jesus. That's exactly right, Greg. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, Brother John. I was at the wedding this morning. Pardon? I was at the wedding this morning. Amen. And I am at the second wedding this morning because the first wedding was at my breakfast table (laughs) and I read 
these verses. Is that right? That you've gone over. Okay. I thank the Lord for that. Uh, the beautiful part that I see is that men are great organizers. They want to put your name down here and your name down there, and you're in charge of this and you're in charge of that. But here at this wedding, some of the things that needed to be taken care of were not. Mm. But they were taken care of in a most beautiful way. Right. In simplicity, the same as God's salvation. Wow. The beautiful, simple way that God does things all the time. They're not complicated. They're not confusing. They're not, uh, he's not the author of confusion, but rather the settler of sins. And that gives us peace that passes understanding. And so we're very, I'm grateful that I could be here and hear the second wedding. And your points were beautiful. I thank the Lord for them. Thank the Lord to be here and the opportunity to be with my son and daughter-in-law and Christian brethren. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, how simple is it? Go get the jar, go get some water, and take it to your boss. That's not complex, is it? That's a great point, John. Did you have something you want to share? No. Oh. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Oh, hello. Um. Maybe because I'm a teacher and went back to school this week, this got me thinking about um, kind of the new buzzwords in education, fixed versus growth mindset right now, and um, how we're trying to teach kids to believe in themselves and in their ability to achieve, um, you know, and not this idea that you're, you're born smart, you know. You, you, can, you can work at it, and it's, and it's in the process, and it's in the journey, and it's in the struggle that you gain wisdom and knowledge, all of that. And so it just got me thinking in the, in the Christian life, like, like you were just saying, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, but we have to believe it. We have to believe it and trust it or else we get stuck in that fixed mindset and then we get nowhere. Um, and also, because I'm a teacher, sometimes at the end of the day, I like to sit down with a good glass of wine. And, you know, I was just thinking, when I sip a good glass of wine, like, I feel relaxed, and I feel peaceful, and I feel like the troubles of the day have just disappeared. Um, and again, just, like, that's, that's what Jesus gives us. And, you know, he wants us to be joyful. He wants us to celebrate life and... Um, I don't know, just how you outlined this. Like, I've never thought about it this way before and just kind of blew my mind. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. It's no, it's no coincidence that he took wine and said, take, drink of it, right? I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence. I mean, there, it, it brings what you just described and, and, and what a shadow that is of the truth of the satisfaction that we have in Christ, man, in his blood, right? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, I'll, uh... yeah just uh, two quick things. So when you were talking, I just thought about, um, so the way God does things is so much opposite to the way that we do things, right? So men give what they think is good wine first, and he's giving it last, right? And so it's, it's good to always think about things that way that really, 
God's ways are so different from our ways. There's so much opposite to what we're thinking. Even with the whole salvation thing, it's not by your works, it's by his. And everything is kind of the opposite. Like we have to think kind of like mirror image sometimes. Uh, the other thing is that um, I think there's a part of that story where um, uh, they're supposed to draw out and go have the wine, the good wine, be tasted by others. And I think this is really important because the good wine that he puts in us is not just for us. It's not just for us to savor. It's for others to savor. And I think that is an important aspect of things, that we are good wine so that, again, the excellency of the power will be seen by others to be from him and not from us. So, See, that was worth coming to church for right there, man. That's awesome. Man, powerful. Powerful word. Any other thoughts? We got a couple of minutes for one or two more thoughts, perhaps. I don't want to cut our time short, but if anybody has a, a, a thought we or question, maybe I don't know. Um, we definitely want to keep the floor open. Thanks. I'll just say one yeah. other thing. Sometimes it's great that we want to talk to talk about our faith with others, but just hearing the, the conversation this morning a lot of how Jesus had the greatest impact in his three years often wasn't his words. I mean, they were great, but it was his acts. Um, I just, some of them just come to my mind, like when he was in the boat and the storm and they were afraid for their lives and he just told the sea to be quiet. Um, this, this example you gave us this morning and probably so many others I don't think we realize, um, kind of along with what you're saying too, Jeff, part of that having people sample the wine is also like, Walt, when you ask us, and I confess wasn't there the last time, but <laughs> when we go do these things, maybe as a church out in the community, that's a part of like, giving other people a sample of that wine. And... Um, yeah, but Jesus' works, the things he did to show who he was. To let your light so shine before men. Amen. Let me just say one, yeah. one quick thing. I, yeah. I, can, I can pass yeah. it up. There's a quote I always, I really love, and I always want to tell people about it. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Right. Right. Very cool. Does anybody have a, uh, perhaps a, a song that's coming to mind that we could close with? You all stand and sing? Any, any hymn that's coming to somebody's mind? Afterwards, I got a couple emails. Hey, this hymn came to mind. Hey, the, you know. Any, any now? If not, that's fine. Amazing. Yeah, no. Jesus loves me. Let's stand and we'll sing. I'm going to turn my mic off. <clears throat> and that is, that is, that, that goes along with what Brother John was saying. The simplest song that my kids already know. In fact, Riesland, 21 months old, she asks for the Jesus song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. 
If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.